Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we're going to be talking to my contributing co-host, Paul J. Fowler. He is the author of the book, Thrones of the Watcher. If you love antediluvian fiction like I do, you are definitely going to enjoy this offering. It is rich, highly detailed, very evocative, tactile, anything you can think of that's going to immerse you in the world of yesterday. This is that book. So make sure you go ahead, love on my brother, and get a copy of this book today. Available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. We'll be talking to him in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank you for your support. We've been showcasing Christian authors for 10 years. As God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. If you want to help out, go to Patreon.com slash stuff To stay up to date with PJC Media, go to PJCmedia.net. Click that pink follow button. You'll never miss a show. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at PJC Media for updates, uploads, and more. Go ahead, subscribe today. And without further ado, I'm going to bring my guest on board. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing great today. I am so glad you took time out of your schedule to be here with us today. I don't take your presence lightly. I'm always so excited, particularly when I meet new authors who write in genres that I adore. And I love antediluvian fiction. And like I said to our listeners, your book is a wonderful offering in this subgenre that not a lot of people talk about. What do you think is the reason why people don't talk about antediluvian times or why are they afraid to go there, you think? It deals with a couple of topics that particularly Protestants are a little uncomfortable with, sex and the supernatural. And so it's got a couple of strikes against it. But when you get into the history of the early church, they had a deep interest in this particular time frame. It was real formative to their worldview. So I think it's going to be more important than there seems to be a rising interest in it, which is really good. Really, the story is more about playing God than it is about lust. As a culture, we're starting to play God. We're starting to do things that the story hints at as history presents these kinds of things where powerful, angelic beings, they're playing God. They're having children, and they're, they're bioengineering things. This topic is, is not going away. In fact, it's just going to keep picking up steam. And as Christians, we're going to have to get our heads around some of these concepts. There's going to be some good that comes out of uh, this advanced knowledge that we're venturing into, but there's going to be some horrible things that come out of it, too. And so if we're not ready to talk about it, we're going to pay the price for that in, in some respects. You make a very good point because it does seem as if churches do shy away from, like you said, sensuality and spirituality, which is weird because we, have, we serve a spiritual God who, who works in the supernatural. And then sensuality is the thing that connects us and helps build our species. Recently, Paul, you may have seen it yourself, I saw some social media chatter about an article talking about people should not have children because of climate change and the world is burning and melting, so don't have children. And I said, that's probably when you want to have children (laughs) is when the world is burning. And if I could go to pop culture for a moment, Paul, did you ever see the movie A Quiet Place? I don't think I did. That oh, totally gosh, familiar. it's a horror movie, so that may be okay. more my alley oh, than yours. That, that doesn't stop me. No, no, that doesn't stop me. Um, a Quiet Place. No. Oh, and that what, movie, what, that's what, when they couldn't talk. No one could talk okay, because no, he, I'm familiar with it. You're right. 
the, the, yeah. the creatures are, are sound sensitive. Yeah, they, they, they locate it by sound. So, yeah, I know I'm familiar with it. I haven't watched it, but I've oh, seen yeah. it. My, my daughter loves it. Um, oh, I, my gosh. It's a really good movie. I have a grown daughter, and, and she, uh, she's as big a geek as I am, so it's just awesome. She, she's a oh, yeah. fellow traveler. It's a good movie, but there were people who were upset that the parents would have another child in this scenario because mm-hmm. – in one part of the movie, one of the biggest tension-filled moments of the movie is when she's about to give birth and you can't say anything. You have to be quiet. What woman's going to oh, be quiet oh. while she's giving birth? Right? So oh my God. Yeah. It, it was so good. But people were really upset. And I said, well, it's more than just about surviving. You have to thrive no matter what your circumstances are. And right. that's what I really liked about the movie. It had a surprisingly uh, pro-life message to it. But mm-hmm. just like I was saying, so right now I have people saying, don't have kids because climate change, world's going to melt, blow up, whatever disaster you want to put, put on the planet. And that's what's going to happen. That's when you're supposed to have children because you want to keep striving for the next generation to do better. It's actually quite selfish of you to assume that your right. children cannot thrive and adapt. You're actually more focused on how you're feeling about the situation and not future generations. But that's another topic for another time. But I was thinking sure, about that sure. as I was reading Thrones of the Watchers. And so before I get to that, I did get I did miss the opportunity for you to introduce yourself to our listeners. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, again, thanks for having me on. I'm just really honored that you reached out and, and wanted to chat. I'm a pastor in Texas. I've been pastoring for 20-plus years. And as it relates to this book, you know, my formative years have ended up echoing you know, being echoing themes within the book itself. I'm a my dad was an army soldier, so I grew up in a military house, and, and the military family is sort of a sub theme of the book. But loved adventure stories when I was a kid. Loved John Carter of Mars, Lord of the Rings, of course, Narnia, great stuff, and just all sorts of things of that vein. And just had a fortunately a very varied childhood. Bows and arrows, roaming the woods. Uh, I used to fence uh, when I was in college and as a teenager, so. In Texas, that means building fences, but to some people, that means sword fighting. So, so some of that, stuff, you know, has ended up coming up in the book. And as a preacher, a preaching pastor, I've always loved the Book of Genesis and found it to be just so fascinating, especially Genesis three and then later Genesis six, where you just have the whole the whole stories laid out in Genesis three. It's good versus evil. It's humanity. There's this serpent. There's more to the story there. It's not a snake. It's it's this representation of evil but it's you know a fallen angel you know there's just so much that we that we learn as we walk through the biblical narrative and god says this is how it's going to end i'm going to end this there's an intercessor that's going to come out of eve eventually and he's going to crush your head to have the whole gospel laid out in just that chapter and, and just sort of frame what is life going to be well there's going to be conflict that's baked into this we can wish that weren't the case, but God frames it up and says there's going to be enmity between the descendants of the serpent and the descendants of the woman. All this sort of, you know, little different life experiences all sort of rolled up into I decided to write a book one day. I love how in the book you give us a definition of enmity, and you say it's a deep-seated hatred. And mm-hmm. this is really significant in today's current climate and culture, satanic things are almost revered as yes. if they're not as serious as you think they are. And we can all go to Hollywood, or someone told me Hollywood, 
and see yep. how this is being played out with various pop music artists and celebrity figures embracing satanic imagery, satanic thoughts and feelings, or they completely make a parody of it as if it's not important or as big of a deal as you think it is. The danger of that is that is exactly what Satan wants you to do, is not taken seriously. In mm -hmm. Thrones of the, Watch of the Watchers, you go into detail about the different levels of satanic beings that they are, what they're mm -hmm. called, how they're divided. You use some extra bi biblical sources to assist you as well. Um, mm -hmm. It's a fictional one, too. <laughs> and um, you use that to bring about this world. One of our main protagonists in the story is Seth, which is the son of uh, Adam and Eve, and he's a yeah. major protagonist in the story. However, Seth is very much aware of this war, but they were fighting this war in the natural, which, in your opinion, does that, even though you're, this is just antediluvian fiction, and like I said, weren't mm -hmm. there, do you think having that war be so physically lost where we don't understand that this is a, a spiritual battle. Yeah, as I researched it, I thought, and, and we talked about this a little bit in the in the, the, the pre-show conversation. You've got this world that's so strange, and so I decided, well, let me let me play with. I've, I've got some themes here that I really want to explore, and so maybe it's better to do that with fiction. And I didn't think the world needed another scholarly approach to. To Genesis six, there's some really good ones out there. So I got really taken up in the idea of what would it be like to live in that world. And and granted, I did ramp up the physical conflict aspect of it. We're so fortunate that we we live in a time where the Holy Spirit's been poured out and lives within. And there's some dynamics that are a little bit different. But I did try to kind of show the duality of uh, Adam and Adam have a very keen understanding of the spirit realm, even even though some of it's things he can see with his physical eye. You know, he sees the, the children of the, the watchers and things, but he, he has an understanding of, of some of the larger issues. I, I think thematically what drew me to this was the realization that, you know, when Jesus is talking about the days of Noah, if you understood these topics the way the early church did, you, you would be very concerned about the world we live in right now. I think in many ways we're kind of full circle with the Genesis 6 story. There are really aspects of that story that are coming alive now. A good story is going to have some conflict and combat that does help move the story along. For the reader, hopefully they're going to carry it into, well, this is, we're, we're, in a, we're in a spiritual conflict now. There are elements of how evil operates in the world that's going to have to be addressed physically. You know, that's why we have police and armies, and, and there is a place for that. But the spiritual side of, of the conflict is more where we're aligned than perhaps these people were in this time because – Evil, evil had its own flesh and blood operatives in, in their world. So that, that some of the dynamics are different, but hopefully the, the reader will be able to carry it into the idea like, well, we really are a conflict, and it's a spiritual conflict. Some of the same, same themes are repeating. You know, the Bible talks about the, the evil of that day and the, the violence and the corruption. Uh, and, but then it says things that to a modern reader they've got to dig a little bit to catch, like all flesh was corrupted after itself. Uh, such that God said, I'm just going to flood everything and get this off the earth because it's so foul. You know, the idea that the watchers, when they came, it, it was more about playing God than it was just about lust. 
they did lust after the daughters of men. They did have children with him. But when you read some of the larger history, that was really just the starting point. That little verse a bit further in Genesis you know, 6 where it says, all flesh was corrupted after itself, that's a really broad statement. And in their mind, they're going back to these stories that they that were part of their culture of things being mixed together that were never supposed to be mixed together, humans being mixed with angels, angels being mixed with humans, uh, and then they start playing with animals and mixing humans and animals. We're, we may not see some of the exact same you know, types of things, but... We're hitting, the, we're hitting the realm where we have the technology and the ability to, to play God and mix things. We're going to see more of it. <laughs> we're just on the front end of this kind of topic. So, so there's natural and there's it's a heavy kind of topic. Things. It's very heavy, yeah. Well, there, and the, there's hot-button stuff. The, you know, the trans agenda, the, the, what, what's called transhumanism, but I, I'm now noticing that they're switching to a word called human engineering. Um, yeah. But it's, it's the idea of you need to be something other than what you are. The biblical worldview is, well, God created, even though it's fallen and not exactly the way that he intended it to be, when we start adopting the idea that I need to be fundamentally changed in order to be okay, but I'm going to do it outside of God's influence or rules or boundaries, we're heading into really dangerous stuff. As we go outside of God's boundaries, what tends to happen is that we enter into a field of understanding that was never meant for us to even dabble into. And going back to your part about the sons of God uh, mating with the daughters of men, you have to understand something. They were never created for that purpose. Anything they would have did would have been a mimicry of the, uh, in the physical, it's a sweet um, joining of man and woman together, you know, but there would have been something completely different. And this is extremely important when you understand that, and some people disagree with this, when Noah, we're we're skipping ahead a little bit, but but when Noah was called of God, there is the idea his bloodline was not tainted by Nephilim, for lack of a better term, DNA. Right, Um, exactly. And these things, people say, oh, that's just crazy. I'm talking crazy. But look at what's going on right now. They just approved a CRISPR technology to edit DNA (laughs) for therapy. I just saw another article referring to the practice of instead of losing weight, taking a walk, eating less, let's just edit your genes so you don't have to have a high cholesterol. And then the person died because they edited that person's genes. We don't even understand everything about the human body, and we're now fiddling with it. Anybody who's made it through, you know, their teenage years, I mean, you know, knows we all go through these awkward periods where we don't feel right. Well, yeah, yeah, we don't feel right because we're not finished forming and developing yet, and then. You know, when you when you realize, okay, well, this is a normal phase that everybody goes through, then you know you work your way through it. And and what what a temptation, you know, when people feel less than or they you know prepare themselves and someone offers them, well, hey, let's just let's just human engineer you a little bit, and then you'll you'll be happy, you know, or you'll have what you want. And the temptation is incredible. And and if we don't prepare our our upcoming generation that you guys are going to have some really crazy choices in front of you that you're going to have to have your head wrapped around some concepts that we never had to be with. Exactly. I think it's, yeah, this is urgent that we kind of get our heads around this. So uh, part of why I hoped, you know, maybe I could reach a few more people with an adventure story or, you know, what you might call fantasy or than just another, you know, theological survey of, of why these issues are important. 
hopefully I can grab some people in the story, but also introduce them to this has happened before, it's happening again. We're playing with boundaries that God said you need to be very, very careful with. It's not going away. They're pumping millions of dollars into this human engineering and human development stuff. And some of it, I'm sure, will be good, And but we need to have the moral, ethical, spiritual language and conversations ready to, to help discern, okay, there's going to be aspects of this that are beneficial and good, and they're going to produce great medicines and some corrective therapies. But there's going to be some things. God only knows what they're going to be offering. Um, and the medical community hasn't really demonstrated to most people that they have a great handle on things, you know, throughout COVID yeah. and whatnot. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but there's billions, millions, billions of dollars being thrown at this stuff. So it's not going away. When we forget our history, and the Bible talks about this, and I'm very glad the Lord did things to such a degree that we don't know everything that happened, but we can just mm-hmm. simply infer from human nature how bad things can get. And so I believe the Lord is calling us to this thing. That's why the thrones of the watcher, even though it's an adventure story taking place in an antediluvian setting, we can still extrapolate from the story and think of today. The character of Seth is one where he is concerned about the safety of his people. He takes that burden seriously. But then the Lord lifts up other people and rises other people up to do things too. You don't have to take the burden onto yourself. And this is something that his father, Adam, cautions him to be careful of because Adam, of everyone, knows about a burden. He and Eve know all about a burden. <laughs> They're so fascinating. They're, they get so fascinating. And I I'm honestly surprised it, more readers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perhaps more writers don't explore it. You know, I, I did mm-hmm. some homework to make sure I wasn't landing right on top of somebody else's, you know, work. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't find that many people that, that I found a little more about Eve than I did Adam, but. But taken together, considering how much literature and, you know, how many books are out there, there's not a lot written about Adam and Eve as people. And I like how you show them as people because they would have learned over time how to act. And I was telling Paul before we started recording, dear listener, one of the things that I found fascinating is that uh, Adam and Eve would have been angry with each other because they both would have seen the world in its pristine state in the state of perfection, we will never understand. So anything they saw was a broken mirror. And imagine how they felt with that. Imagine them feeling and knowing I have seen perfection and I will never see it again. And there's a, there's a, there's a, in the book, Thrones of the Watcher available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. There's a scene where um, Adam is talking to a, a lion. And I won't go into why this lion is important, but Adam's talking to a lion, and he's remembering, along with the lion, the things that used to be. And uh, Seth doesn't quite understand it, but even though he doesn't understand it, he defers to his father. And one thing about this book, dear listener, and I was telling Paul about it as I read it, there's a strong sense of family throughout the book, a sense of continuity that existed with in his story. And it's very difficult for me not to believe this didn't happen because you write it so well, Paul. It's like <laughs> this didn't happen as far as I know, but what do I know, right? But you right. do it so effortlessly showing the family unit being the strongest unit of uh, power structure on on the planet. And when you have a bunch of families together, working for the common goal, see, then 
you can have elected officials, let's say, who also have families, mm-hmm. and those families then are being protected because that person has a family. One thing I think I read about some time ago, Paul, was that a lot of elected officials don't have children, and so they're making policies and uh, propagating regulations, and they're not personally affected by it. So they can make these platitudes of, oh, we're going to do X for the people, but none of your people are part of the people, see. None of your people are going to be affected by these laws or these regulations or these edicts that you come up with because you're not personally involved. But if you were, would you have a different outcome? I would like to think so, right? So that's why I was, when I was reading Thrones of the Watcher, um, Enmity, that was such a powerful message throughout the story. Now, this is book one of the series. So is there a book two coming? I have, book two is going to beta readers this week. What's it called? It is going to be called Bloodlines. Oh, nice. we'll get to yeah, we'll get to meet Cain and uh, we'll get to see what his kingdom is like. And, um, of course, uh, Adam and Eve, of course, are still prominent in the story. But, but uh, Seth is the third son of Adam and Eve, and, and the Bible calls him appointed that, that Eve named him, which is actually the fact that she named him is actually somewhat unusual in Hebrew culture, but the Bible does, you know, note that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's appointed, you know, and, and Eve's mind you know, what scripture, you know, was saying is I've, I've lost these other children and God's appointed this one, you know? And so he, um, as I present him, he deeply feels the absence of, of Cain, uh, and Abel and feels, you know, in some respects, you know, the, the, the burden of the, the perfect child or the good child who recognizes that, the family has a need, and so someone needs to step up. And so he very much personalizes the prophecy of Genesis 3, that someone has to arise to crush the head of the serpent. And he, he's coming to grips with the fact that that may not actually be him, that this may be bigger than him. God has said it, and he, he's going to play the role that he can, but contrast of Cain and Seth is something that you see in the history, they, yeah, and we see it in the Bible, the, the contrast between Jerusalem and Babylon the compare contrast is something we, we see a lot in scripture. As we move into the next book, we will get to see we'll get to see Cain, we'll get to see how they developed outside of the influence that Adam and Eve would have had on them. And it, it's interesting. We'll get more into the watchers and, and the wars escalating and conflicts escalating and, and there'll be a number three. I've actually got a big chunk of number three written. So it's been fun to, to delve into this and to revisit uh adventure. I as a pastor I do a lot of writing and reading, but it's related to sermons. So this is revisiting some childhood things that I really enjoy now, you know, writing it and producing it. So It does have a great sense of adventure, dear listener. There's a lot of war going on in the story, and so Paul takes a lovely time just giving you the tools of warfare, uh, how to view about warfare. Because you said that your, uh, you say your father was in the Army? I grew up in a government, <laughs> you know, I grew up on Army bases. Mm-hmm with lots of soldiers walking around. Definitely shapes nice. your, your views on some things. And there's a lot of that in there. And then what I told Paul that I really liked about Thrones of the Watchers was just how you depicted Eve. And Eve is a very strong character. She doesn't come off in this subservient manner that I think some people think Eve would have been, which is crazy to me. There's actually a scene where Seth is recounting to one of his younger brothers 
about an event that happened. And the younger brother was like, have you ever seen uh, a fallen, which is the angels that fall from, that fell from heaven and couldn't go back to their heavenly realm. They were called the fallen. Yeah. This is different from the feeling, but you find it in the book, your listener, go ahead, pick up your copy today. And he says, did you ever see one? He said, yeah, mom killed it. <laughs> so, right, I just yeah, thought that no, was like he, best line ever. <laughs> Eve is primal motherhood to me. Like um, if any mother bear ever existed and, and every mom is a mother. Uh, yeah. Fiercer than men in Cumberland's baby. And, uh, you know, when, when the children are in danger, and I, I fully envision Eve as a complete savage. I mean, I, mean, I think Adam and Eve both were just uniquely powerful, gifted people, uh, mm-hmm. despite their bad decision and the, the, despite going from this perfect realm that they lived in to this imperfect realm and how they didn't just end it, <laughs> how they actually, you know, carried on for almost a thousand years of existence and raised children and perpetuated the faith and, uh, they had to be absolutely amazing people. And so I wanted to portray oh, yeah. that because so often Adam and Eve are, are the butt of a joke in, in most Protestant churches. And as I read the histories, the Jews don't look at them that way. They, they do kind of celebrate them as almost supernatural figures. And so I wanted that to be accurate, you know, to be to be reflected in the story. There's think, a fierceness you know, to motherhood, too, that is not mm-hmm. always brought up because there are women, you're not going to hurt my children. There are some women, I will do whatever I need to do to protect my children. That same fierceness is there. And like you said, primal motherhood, one thing I was thinking about, because dear listener, I was talking to Paul before the show, I said, I would love to do my own my own take on Antithelubian, but coming from Eve's perspective. And Eve yeah. would have been the standard of beauty, because they would oh, not yeah. have had anyone else to compare that to, because she's yeah, the mother of all. And she's right. the ultimate feminine. And what is femininity but a fierce storm with a calm to it? And th- throughout the story, you have these various couples who come together, and they are a bomb to each other. So you also show a godly view of marriage. I like that as well. So there's a lot going on in this story, dear listener. Go ahead, pick up your copy today of Thrones of the Watcher, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Paul, it was so wonderful talking to you today. In the few moments we have Mm -hmm. left, go ahead and encourage our aspiring authors out there whom God has given the gift to write to pick up a pen and do so. Yeah, isn't it amazing the time that we live in where you really can put your work and get it out there? And you're not dependent on publishing houses and you're not dependent on agents. It's hard, but it's never been easy to write. There's just so much at our disposal. It is a little, the process can be a little overwhelming. You have to get into the process and listen to people that have done it. I've followed you and some of your, your work and, and, and there's just, so, there's places that we can go to help each other and to listen and to learn. It is such a great time. You really can get your work out for the world to enjoy. Do it because you love it. Do it because writing therapeutic to you do it you know there has to be that sense of enjoyment out of it but but get it out and let and let people critique it and let people help shape and guide you know what you're doing is this this is a craft this is not unlike other crafts and you know there's a process and there's a there's wisdom and there's there's stages of of a work being finished we just this is such a great time um to 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 have where we really can get our stuff out there for the world to enjoy and we have a lot of resources to help in the process. You know, I toyed with doing some, some book stuff years and years ago, and, and I'm, I'm glad I waited. You know, there's a right time to do things. 
you really can get your work out. And for me, I wanted to escape the, the stigma that comes with, you know, what people might consider Christian art or Christian uh, media. It does not have to be lesser quality. You can get good, good things out there that are compelling. And compelling to someone maybe doesn't have a biblical perspective or a Christian perspective. How do we introduce them to our worldview? Well, fiction is one way to do that. We need to be getting great stories out for people to enjoy. What I've written is so right in the biblical realm, but I, I remember reading things from authors who weren't Christians who explored you know, biblical topics and you know, like the fall of angels and, and things like that. They're all, they're all part of my journey. You know, I, I wouldn't vouch for them necessarily like from biblical concepts, but we see this pop up even in, you know, as we were discussing earlier, horror movies and different things. We're trying to sort out good and evil in our hearts and minds. We need to see it relate in stories. That's sort of how we, we process it and, and look at it and work it through. So, so Garth, get, get, get down and start typing, writing, talking, processing, working on your craft. Oh, I can't think of a better way to end our show today. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Well, thank you, Parker. I so appreciate you reaching out to me. I've really enjoyed talking with you. And we were talking today to Paul J. Fowler. He is the author of Thrones of the Watchers, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. So go ahead, pick up your copy today. I really enjoyed what Paul said when he said, get to writing, type and process and go ahead, get your work out there, but you're not going to start, get it out there unless you start somewhere. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead, pick up the pen and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.